but the ending of this, it's like, uh, you were right. <laughs> this is the one time where we can't say you're crazy because there's a cult. Because be like, white people always be in cults. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're not wrong. As we do. We are the Media Analysis Podcast from a Horror Lens, where we explore the historical, psychological, real-life influences behind our cinematic fears. It's late. We're recording this late, and it's been a long time (laughs) since we've done this this late. Um, I did see a picture of our first episode where I was setting up the camera, and it was like 10 p.m., and I was like setting up a camera for some reason. Uh... And we were going to record, so... I feel like I would be asleep. I don't know how I used to do that. I feel like alcohol played a part. Yeah. Our first episode, we recorded at, like, 10 p.m., and then we went to the Dolphin. Nope. (laughs) Wow. We were youthful Wow, I'm old now. Yes. Well... That was four uh, (laughs) years ago, almost. (laughs) It was a long time. Um, But we are in our Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, we are talking about mental illness representation in horror, and we've already had two spectacular editions of representation. I'd say today is is on the fence. (laughs) We will see. It was there. It did it. It did something. We'll, we'll definitely talk about how we feel about it. So today we're going to be talking about, honestly, long overdue. I'm sure people are like, how have you not, as a horror Talk podcast, about her. talked yeah. about hereditary? But we thought, you know, <laughs> we've we've given Ari Aster a run from his money for a long time and <laughs> on our own. So we wanted to invite some friends in to talk about the film with us. So we invited Captain Nostalgia and Black Nerd Magic from the Victims and Villains podcast. Welcome. Hey, and uh, I just want to say that I don't know if we, depending on how this goes, if this turns out the same way that Midsummer did for you guys, we might not be friends anymore. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Uh, we um, we loved Hereditary when it came out as a film. So, I like it as a film. Did it make me feel great about mental illness? No. <laughs> It was, like, kind of rude about mental illness, but the film itself, solid. Scary. Good scary. Good fun. (laughs) Liked it. First time we saw it, excellent. It just hit different the second time in terms of, like, looking at it critically in terms of mental health. And it it hurt a little bit because I really, yeah, it hurt a little bit. But it was still a good film. We're not saying it wasn't a good film. It was a fun time. (laughs) Yes. But did it make me feel like having kids... With mental health issues as a hereditary thing, like that could have been avoided. Like, I don't know. I'll get into it in my section, but 
it was a little rude in that regard, but it's okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And we'll definitely, we'll definitely unpack it. Cause I, even I have some things to say and I was like, I'm still on the fence. There are some things where I'm like, okay. Um, I think similar to midsummer where at the end I was like, I see what you were doing. <laughs> and then I see some things that we let drop and I see some things that are good. Yeah. There was um, good stuff, bad but, stuff. It's okay. Like most films. Uh, yeah. But for, for people who don't know, uh, we have actually been guests on Victims and Villains a few times. Uh, twice for just your regular show. And then uh, another time for Fears Tribulations uh, with Cat uh, as Sadness and myself as Love, uh, <laughs> which is polar opposites, uh, it, which was super fun. And so we every time we're like, what, when are we going to get you guys on here? We're super slow. <laughs> We're very much like, we just get the stuff done and then we go and we forget that other people need to have opinions too. <laughs> well, could you all start by telling our listeners uh, about Victims and Villains, what they can find there? Sure. So Victims and Villains is a nonprofit and a podcast that educates and engages individuals on mental health awareness through suicide and suicide prevention through pop culture. Uh, we have a little bit of something for everyone. Uh, so when you come to our content, whether you are a reader and want to know if a movie's good, we got you covered. Whether you want to hear us talk about uh, film, food, uh, we do a lot of movies reviews. That's just gonna want to say that uh, horror, comedy, we've we've done a little bit of everything. Um, we do B movies. We've done The Room. We've done Showgirls, um, and we've done revered classics that are quite literally escaping my uh, mind right now. But uh, yeah, so we do it all with the purpose just to let you know that you have value and that you are loved and that if you need them, hey, let's have a conversation about mental health. And also at the same time, uh, all of our episodes come equipped with mental health uh, statistics and also encouragement to uh, check out our mental health resource library as well. Yes, and people should do that, especially like this month, definitely, but always as well. Um, that's something that we always appreciate about your show and that, you know, we work hard to include, you know, resources at the end of our episodes and our show notes so that whatever it is that we're talking about, we're providing next steps. So it's not just like, here, feel sad about this thing and then just wallow in it. It's like, <laughs> feel sad about this thing and now here's ways that you can help or here's ways that you can feel better um, because you're you know, doing something to the world. <laughs> um, Klaus, could you tell us a bit about what you do for Victims and Villains? Pretty much what I do is I'm a co-host. Um, Josh, you know, he came and asked me um, via, I think, Facebook Messenger about a couple of years ago. Um, I was just new into the film scene, really starting to become a critic and going to screenings and everything. And I ended up linking up with Josh, um, having by chance or by luck. I can't really exactly remember it, but me and him hit it off pretty good, and I'm a writer, I'm a co-host, and me and Josh have actually done a pretty good job of bringing together film series. We have done diversity film series for the last two years, which celebrate films 
of people of color and African-Americans where we try to paint them in a more positive light than what we see in the mainstream Hollywood where slave films and films about criminals and drug addicts and thugs and all that are more the more of the storytelling method they want to show people of color in. But we try to show them in a more better light. And also, we're also about trying to reach out to people who are going through mental health struggles. I mean, now mental health is not a thing where you can sweep it under the rug and just leave it there and not talk about it. Like, no, this is something that is affecting a lot of people and social media has kind of accelerated that as well. So we are all about anytime we watch a film, whether it's good or bad, we always try to make sure to spotlight moments in the film that speak to mental health. And mostly our goal is try to reach out to anybody that's having issues or problems. Like if they don't have anybody to talk to, then they can come and listen to us and they can feel like that we're talking to them through our love of film. Yes. And I definitely feel that I enjoy like one, there's, there's so, there's so many films (laughs) and so many things that you guys cover where it's just like, I haven't gotten a chance to watch that, but I can get so much from it. Um, and I always appreciate those little moments where it's just like, and also we could be real. (laughs) Definitely appreciate that. Um, when we first pitched, uh, the idea to have you all, I definitely, like when I pitched the idea of this series to Kat, I was like, well, we're definitely getting victims and villains on, um, cause it's just in line with what you all do. And, you know, we've been <laughs> trying to figure out how to get you all on here. We originally had the idea to do, uh, man, Daniel isn't real. I think it was called. Um, and then we switched over to hereditary and <laughs> we're told that Kalesi, you got really excited when we pitched that. Can you tell us a bit about why you were so psyched? Well, Hereditary is a special film in my heart because that was the first film screening I ever went to in my life was to see a advanced screening of Hereditary. And I remember the first time watching it, I kind of like dismissed it, not really say that it was a bad film. I thought it was quality. I thought it was well made, but the last half just threw me for a loop. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that last half was, but I'm not feeling it. And I kind of dismissed it. So then I went back to it, you know, I took one night to rewatch it and it hit me like everything that the story was trying to tell the way the cinematography and the acting and the music all come together and just the process of the film itself really stuck out to me on a rewatch and it's grown to become one of my favorite horror movies of the last 25 years and even today when I rewatched it, I had to bump up my rating. I had it at a four and a half. I had to bump it all the way to a five star now, you know, especially, <laughs> okay, Josh is looking at me on um, all kinds of uh, crooked, but hey, <laughs> when we get into it, I'm going to try to um, bring you to the, to the good side, Josh. <laughs> Full disclosure, I thought this was a five star review from you well before uh, this podcast. So it's kind of a, a surprise to me that it wasn't a five star previously. I was teetering on the fence. You know, me, my five stars, they're not easy to get. Like, it's hard to get. So you got to do, like, you got to do some magical stuff to get a five star from me. And this film, it really did it on this third time around. I guess three times a charm, as they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we uh, had actually watched uh, the Hereditary at a friend's house. And it was it was a quite an experience for us. Um, I mean, like this was our first interaction with Ari Aster and we actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it was like the first time, but we watched it. We went to our friend Debbie's house, uh, who actually, she is in our episode about David Cronenberg. Uh, and so she loves horror as well. And so we were like, yeah, let's go and watch this horror movie. She's like, I rented it from the library. Like it was like this, <laughs> 
like lovely excursion. So we went to her house and we were just like walking around. She has this huge like three story house. Um, and we were like walking through and on like she all throughout her house. She has these giant paintings that her husband puts together and they're like really like elaborate, beautiful um, paintings. And she had this photo on her fridge of her from like years ago in front of one of his paintings. And it's like super large. And I grabbed it from the fridge and I went to ask her like, when was this taken? And in the middle of that sentence, we hear this crash. So we run to the living room, the photo or the picture from that photo, the painting was on the ground. Like it had fallen just off the wall at the same time I grabbed this photo. And we were like, (laughs) <laughs> Deb was we like, can't watch I this brought film the ghouls now. in my house, and the now house there's is haunted. <laughs> yeah, it's haunted now. Um, so with the, that energy, we then watched this film, and we were like, in her, like, she had a projector screen, it's like pitch dark, great surround sound, we're all, it's just like, all of us like, cuddle up on these couches, like, watching it, and I just, I just remember it's all like, silent <laughs> like the entire time, <laughs> especially after that scene, I think we all know what scene it is, um, and just being like, did what what happened? And then the rest of the film happening and being like, what is happening? <laughs> why is this happening? Uh, and the reason, like us loving that film was why we were actually really, really excited for Midsommar. And we like rushed out to watch it when it, it premiered. Like we get went to like a midnight screening and we never do that. Uh, yeah, I don't stay and, up past 10. So this is yeah. a situation. <laughs> so we were like, I was like, we have to go. It's going to be great. And then... We were really, we were upset within like five minutes of that film, and then we were, it was over. Uh, yeah. Watching it, the these second can't be time. killing grandpas. I just, it <laughs> yes. still makes me so upset, and that's just because me and my grandpa are best friends, and I just don't like seeing old people die. But it's still, it just upsets me. Yes, it's nothing. Yes. It's it's a fine film. It's fine. <laughs> um, well, not hereditary who- midsummer, but yes, continue. Yeah, Midsummer's fine. We'll talk about how we feel about Hereditary. We'll give it. But our first, our like, <laughs> we were we were in the boat of it being a favorite in the beginning, and that we'll. I think Kat and I might be diverged from each other for the first time in a long time. Uh, but this film, for people who are wondering, Hereditary is from uh, two thousand seventeen. I don't think I updated this. Two thousand seventeen. 2018. Okay, it's been a long time. Uh, And it is directed by Ari Aster, and it is about a grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences, which is an incredibly vague uh, synopsis. Thank you, IMDb, because you're keeping all the deets to yourself (laughs) for that one. You're like, no, this is going to be in the secrets. Uh, And for... I think in the second watch, while wearing our media analysis glasses, like not just watching it for fun and for like a horror lover's sake, I didn't love it as much. Like it wasn't like as exciting. I did, re- I in the second watch, um, Calais, I also like started to notice more of the cinematography and more of the intentionality with like art direction. Uh, there's like, I'm like still, like I want it. <laughs> it's like the, there's like a, a sculpture where it's like the house on the lawn and under it is like like underground but there's houses kind of stacked on on top of each other like in ground like it's supposed to look like you're built upon the remnants of other houses like but it's just a piece that's just there like you see it a few times because there's houses throughout the whole thing because it's all about you know 
don't throw rocks and glass houses, all that stuff. Um, and like, I'm in love with that. But <laughs> I was definitely like, it's so blue and there's pops of things. Or I was like, cause I spent a lot more, like I know what's happening. So I'm not so much like looking for like the, you know, the jump scares and all <laughs> just like the shock value of things. Instead I was looking and being like, oh, this is like, you know, catching the little things in the corners or just like uh, appreciating the, the color coding of everything. <laughs> it's all blue. It's so blue all the time, unless they're evil and then they're wearing red. Uh, so it was like, those things were really nice. And um, even catching, like, I totally miss the like school conversation, which is like, whenever there's a school and there's a lecture happening, like you need to pay attention because they're telling you the plot of the film, like always. So I was like, oh, so this time I was listening to the school conversation. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're, you're doing that too. Um, <laughs> so I enjoyed that. That. We're asking two core questions in this series. One is, does it ap appropriately represent the horrors of mental illness? And does it inspire empathy or compassion towards an individual mental illness? And so with, I think this film wants you to actively fear hereditary mental illnesses. If it wants to put people into the, the shoes of anyone who is afraid of uh, inheriting and mental illness, uh, having already survived or uh, experienced uh, a loved one kind of lost, like there, there's certain terminology that's used in this film, like uh, uh, Annie says that her mom, when her mother's mind was polluted, she was like this. And when her mind wasn't polluted, she was the lo most loving woman in the world. Uh, so there's definitely like this, she has this residual feeling about the mental illness. And there's a constant like, looming threat that that's coming for you. And this film really wants you to feel that. And so there's a part of that where I'm like, okay. Um, but for, <laughs> for someone who's on the outside to like kind of uh, understand and empathize what that fear can feel like and how it can spiral out of control um, and feel like it's, it has, it's out of your hands. Yes. For anyone who might have that already, it's probably really triggering and you know, worse <laughs> watching that and being like oh now I feel guilty if I do want to have a family because you're just solidifying all the, the fears that I already had um, about doing that uh, so I don't feel like it, it necessarily inspires uh, empathy and compassion towards individuals and mental illness but it does inspire people to kind of maybe uh, realize that it is a real fear so for me, the feelings that I, I have about this film in particular is uh, it, it's interesting because the way that you guys are approaching this, because this to me isn't necessarily a movie that while it, it does deal with mental illness, I feel like it's much more of a journey through a character going through grief and kind of the grief process. Um but, you know, as the film kind of progresses and the more that Annie ends up kind of finding out more and more about her mother and kind of about the 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 sickness that she has. And um, it, it's interesting to kind of see how she reacts and responds to um, everything. And I don't necessarily know if I've actually looked at it the way that you guys are, are looking at it. So I, I think it's just kind of be one of those conversations where... Um, <laughs> I'm going to be learning a lot from you guys uh, and then kind of going off of the things that you guys said, um, because you guys have a really interesting way of looking at films uh, a lot differently than, than I do and, and vice versa. I think that's why uh, our, our brands work really well together. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think, it, and, and that's a good point, that it is about grief, because it definitely is. Yeah, that's um, an element it, I would, like, totally left out of my thoughts. <laughs> so it's good. It's a good realization. Yeah. And because it's also, real. like, how you, you know, approach or uh, digest, like, y- your family's mental illness, too, and just, like, and, and kind of reconciling the fact that her mother was two people to her, right? Like she even says it, like there are times where she's not her mother. She was somebody else. Um, And I think like, yeah, like when she said she had like the second kid, she was like that she wasn't even my mother then. uh, And so she wasn't in my life, that kind of thing. Um, I think what I got from the the second watching was really this kind of uh, kind of like your, your, doomed to repeat the same mistakes like history um because throughout the film we kind of see uh annie slowly becoming her mother like she starts to do the things her mother did and her family starts to do the things that her family did that we hear from that little story um she goes from like lingering uh over the diorama of her mother lingering in the doorway to herself lingering in the doorway of her son (laughs) like it's like slowly she starts to do those things she starts to um have delusions herself and it kind of exhibits certain uh tendencies that she probably would have seen her mother going through and it's it it was really interesting for me to see uh in this second view to see all the ways that like she told us the one story about like what happened to her mom and we see the little pictures from her art and then see her doing that. And I feel like it, it, one with the, that class discussion um, about Heracles and his doomed fate uh, is that like, no matter who you are, no matter how many signs and foreshadowing moments that you catch, because there are quite a lot in this film, uh, that you're really doomed to fate. Like, you will become your mother, and that's the ultimate fear that Annie's character had. And I found this article on Esquire called um, Hereditary Taps into the Unique Terror of Inherited Mental Illness by Emma Dibden. Uh, And in it... uh, Emma explains how hereditary tapped into the mental strain of someone aware of the lingering possibility of mental illness and how even when you're being precautious, it really only contributes (laughs) to the fated ends because you're just at it like it's you're going to have it, right? Um, And so they say, you're constantly watching yourself for warning signs is draining and destabilizing and can become a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is one way to read the increasingly surreal and horrific, horrifying events of Hereditary. In worrying that she will lose her mind, Annie drives herself insane. In worrying that her inherited madness will destroy her family, she destroys them herself. So it's like, even in trying to run away from those things, you're just, it's it's there. You're running into it. (laughs) It's destiny. Um, and I thought that was really interesting, um, in, in that, and which is why, like, ultimately, like when I'm watching this is like, this is a horror film through and through. (laughs) Like it is a genuine, great horror film. And the goal of this horror is to provide a viewer a glimpse into a truly horrifying experience. And at the end of the day, it does bring light to the horrors of an impending doom of someone who's fearing they will inherit a mental illness. Like we discussed in our Undone episode, uh, Alma was on the edge like from the beginning because she knew that there was a chance that she could you know, have schizophrenia, um, and that it's just a matter of time before it gets there. And so I think it does show like a flawed kind of stress family, (laughs) like very honest stress family that just doesn't know how to handle each other. Like they've never had enough time and they've never been like, quote unquote, normal enough to just 
deal with each other and accept each other because they're always weary of like, are you going to, is it you? Are you going to be the one who snaps? Are you the one who snaps? I can't even love you because I'm afraid I'm going to lose you kind of thing. Um, and for that, I feel like is very effective in, in providing that kind of outlook. Yeah, I think it also like ties back to the whole not talking about familial history and mental illness. I think there's like, because of the stigmas that exist within media and in society that a lot of people feel like this anxiety to reveal that there is a history of mental illness in the family. And I think that there's like throughout the film, you kind of see this lack of honesty with it. Like she's talking about these things at the support group, but she's not having these conversations with her kids. She's not having these conversations with her husband. It's kind of, something she kind of keeps to herself. Like she keeps it as a burden that she must carry and isn't like having what I would describe as like these kind of conversations that would offer a healing and preventative end to this inevitable potential threat um, that you could really just like discuss openly, try to heal together with it. But there's so much that they kind of leave unsaid, even in the grieving process, you have that like really, intense scene at dinner where they're all like not saying what they need to be saying but are at the same time where they're, they're like you're blaming me or you think it was my fault and they both kind of feel this way and they're not unpacking it it's kind of hushed at the table they're like we can't enough of this it's too traumatic to talk about and I think maybe if they did more talking there would be some healing in that but also it is a horror film so you know the horror is gonna happen um, at the end of the day yeah for me I also got the um, notion that you know you just can't control what family you're brought into I mean there are so many times in life where there are kids, you know, who are born into families and maybe this family, like there's a genetic disease, like maybe this family, there's diabetes that runs as a family or maybe there's alcoholism. Matter of fact, um, for me, the one thing that my grandmother, when she was alive, that she was fearful about when I was growing up was that I was going to become an alcoholic because on her side of family, her family tree was full of people who abuse alcohol. And she was worried about that for me. And I, thankfully I didn't end up on that side of the coin, but there's, People who come up and they ended up getting winning the genetic lottery, so to speak, and they end up getting these inherited diseases or they end up getting these inherited conditions that affect, you know, their mental health. And it's something that they can't control. But from the out from the outside, people look at you and they judge you for having those things, but they don't understand that it's something that that was going to happen. You could control it. And I think in this film. Eventually, what happens to this whole family is something that they couldn't control. Like from the beginning of the film, as I watched it and rewatched it, and I put everything together. It felt like that this was something that was going to happen no matter what they tried to do. And it also speaks to the fact about being in a family and hereditary diseases and things that are passed down. There's nothing that you can really do about it. Like you can do all the right things. You can make all the good choices. You can be a good person, but sometimes life throws you those curveballs and there's nothing you can really do about it. And it's kind of like you're just a train headed to your fate and there's no brakes to stop it. I saw this really great. I don't even know if it was really great TikTok. It was a TikTok and I don't remember who it was, but they described themselves as a ball of recessive genes. And I was just like, I feel that <laughs> like it was like a ball of all the things that you didn't want passed down, passed down onto you. And you just live with that now. And I was like, wow, 
that was a real, I, I need to start using that. I just, I call my, I have a trash body is what I say, but I like ball of recessive genes too. I think that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Coles, think, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, Coles, to your point, I, I think that, you know, you can make, you can take steps to start to prevent some of those things. Like you talked about alcoholism running into your family. Um, and I've talked to, in the past about addiction running in my family. And, you know, while those aren't, uh, you know, outright something like, oh, cancer, diabetes, or asthma, or, you know, physical sicknesses, those are definitely stuff that play into mental health and, and mental illness and stuff that can be passed down from generation to generation because, you know, we watch the generation that comes before us. And sometimes it's all about how you respond. For me, going through a lot of the things that I went through and seeing certain family members turn to certain vices, I was like, I don't want to do this. And now a large portion of what we do with victims is helping people undo addiction uh, from th those exact vices. Um, and so it's about taking steps and, and being practical to kind of undo uh, mental illness that has been, for lack of a better word, passed down to you hereditarily. I don't know if yeah. that's a word. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about breaking the cycle. You know, they usually say that many generations of a family, they'll have this like one thing that's held common, that's held the family back for so long. And like usually the next generation, there's hope that they can eventually can break the cycle. And I know for me, my grandmother was pretty happy that I was able to break the cycle and not become an alcoholic and not become destitute like my other family members were. And like, there's a lot of circumstances and a lot of um, factors that go into the reasons why they did what they did. But mostly it's because of what they saw. Like Josh said, it's like, Pretty much when you're a kid, you're soaking everything up in your head because your brain is developing, you know, and you don't exactly know right from wrong. And pretty much your parents and the elders around you are supposed to teach you the right things. But if you're in a family and all they're doing is showing you the wrong things and they don't really care to show you the right things, then what do you expect to grow up to be is exactly doing the wrong things. It's going to take somebody from the outside to come in and pull you to a dip to see the world in a different light. And I think. That is what's plaguing a lot of people who do end up addicted to vices or who lead like, you know, lives that probably they make choices that are criminal or doing illegal activity. It's because they are seeing they see this. They seen this constantly on a loop growing up for like 10 to 15 years. And so they haven't seen anything different. They haven't seen the world bigger than where they are. And I think the way that we're we can impact people and not have them lead down those bad paths is that we gotta we gotta take these kids out of their environment. We have to show them that the world is bigger than where they come from. We also have to understand that there are factors and circumstances that people can't control. Like you could be born into poverty. Like that that wasn't my decision. I was born into it. But you can also show a person like, hey, if you do this and do that, I'm not saying that you could become like Elon Musk rich, but you can at least be somewhat in a better position, you know, if you follow these steps. So yeah. we can't all benefit benefit from apartheid, you know? <laughs> yes, we can't. <laughs> um, now that's super real. Like trauma is a very big piece of uh I guess like the protective factors that you can or can't develop if you do not know that there's anything else. It's uh in a lot of the trauma 
training and research that I've done just through life and then also through working in education, a lot of it does tie back to you need at least one person in your life that is a protective factor, a stable person who can kind of show you the like you have someone stable and safe in your space and that that can like make a really big difference when you're dealing with heavy amounts of trauma. Like they have that mm-hmm. awful test where you take all the, you're like divorce parents, addiction. Like you take the little number and it gives you a big number and it's like, all right, this is all the men- the, the physical illnesses that can be caused by trauma. And then you freak out. Um, <laughs> but then they, then they go into like all the things that can help you heal from those in- situations and have, like help you get out of those situations because trauma not only impacts your day-to-day, but it also impacts your brain and a lot of other things. And it's hard to overcome for sure. And I think too, that's why Annie kind of is, she goes through as much trauma throughout, you know, following the events and kind of the journey of like discovering all the stuff that her mom was in because Steve just kind of doesn't seem like a good support system. Like he's like, you know, Hey, like my son needs me and I'm going to be a a father over a husband right now. And, uh, I think that that kind of plays into a lot of what you're talking about. Kat is what we got to get to see is like her toxicity because of that lack of support and that lack of like one person, uh, grows, to a point to where it ultimately ends up costing her her life. I don't know if we're in yeah, spoiler territories or not. So you totally can. Uh, yeah, spoiler <laughs> we always time. Put our spoiler <laughs> thing. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, similar to what Kat was saying, right? Is that she also like blocks herself off. Like she she's trying to be like that's the past. I got out of it. It's different. I'm exempt. Uh, and not acknowledging the f- the fears that she has. Uh, even so much as like when she has that that dream where she admits to trying to not have her child because of those fears. Like that is something that she's pushed deep, deep down and she wouldn't say outwardly, um, but it's something that she's grappling with all on her own on this little island. And I think despite what this film might be trying to tell us sometimes that it isn't hopeless um that if you know especially what we saw in the other films that we covered too is that uh like in exploring like the people who created it and people who experience those things is that you know it's it's not the end of the world to have um schizophrenia or to suffer from delusions or to have uh mental illnesses that do that or to inherit those ones right like if especially if you're expecting it uh then you can kind of get in front of that and already start to kind of work and build and figure out what works for you understanding that's not always western medicine like maybe it's yoga maybe it's spirituality maybe it's something that grounds you uh and and then you can pass that on to your kids like you can still have kids it's just like now you have made the steps to live with this and not you know kind of throw in the towel like oh i'm broken so that's the end of that uh it's like we just don't talk about it this is a don't talk about it household we're just all gonna sit here silently and in a ball of stress and then to get decapitated at some point that's the <laughs> message that Ari Aster is trying to send <laughs> everyone loses decapitation their decapitation is inevitable she never catches a break she never catches I was like when we first started watching it I was like Kat remember when her husband just set off fire <laughs> and like literally at the, when the movies was opening I was remember her husband just like oh fire like she just can never win nope. um, I, I uh, you know similarly um, to you all come from a family that has 
includes a plethora of different uh, obstacles from uh, addiction to alcoholism to diabetes and mental illness. Like it's a whole, like you said, all the recessive genes, a big ball for me. Uh, And it is always looming. And I also come from a family that is very much like a, you don't air out your dirty secrets and you keep everything together. You don't go to the doctor, like a therapist and tell them your stuff. Like if you're sad, you just get over it kind of uh, thing. And that has not proven to be effective (laughs) way of dealing with those illnesses or or any of those situations um, and has only caused more harm. And so seeing that, like you were saying, Gless, has um, for me and and like my cousins or or similar uh, age group have looked at, you know, our (laughs) parents or or like, you know, aunts, uncles, what have you, and have been like, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm going to, you know, actively work towards a better future where we're not doing that. And then we can show our kids that like, that's the wrong way you do it. This is the way you can do it and how you can live with it. Um, But it can be really, really scary. I think, you know, with this whole series, every time it's just that, that fear of like, what if, what if I am also this and what I'm seeing isn't real? Uh, and it, with the ending of this, it's like, uh, you were right. <laughs> this is the one time where we can't say you're crazy because there's a cult. Because Ari be like, white people always be in cults. Right? <laughs> and he's like, you're not wrong. Uh, but also, <laughs> you're not right either, you know? Um, and so <laughs> this one time, the it was correct, the delusions and the fear. <laughs> and that, was I think outside like, of a horror movie, it would have been fun. <laughs> It's like, usually if you think, if you're suspecting that, you know, your house is haunted and there's... That your mom's in your attic. ...conspiracy. Filled with flies. time for some help. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Time for some help. Or just leave. I don't know why everyone came back to this house. (laughs) Why do you keep coming back to this house? You pick up the kid after he smashed his nose, you go to a hotel. And we call mom and say, sorry, figure it out. (laughs) And we'll be back later. Or you tell mom to come to the hotel, too. I don't know. You just did not need to stay in the house. I think that is something that a lot of horror movies do wrong. I don't even care if you got to sleep, like, sleep outside. Sleep somewhere that is not in that house that is clearly filled with dead things, ghosts, or cultists. Like, Yeah, Steve ain't got no friends. But it wouldn't it wouldn't be a movie if this yeah. did not happen. So Yeah, it's like the... I saw the um, old version of the Amityville Horror a couple of weeks ago. And, like, the whole film, I was just screaming at the family, like, just move away from the house. Like, it... it but... You know, at a point, like you said, there is no film if people don't make bad decisions. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I mean, do you, do we really want to open this can of worms right <laughs> now? Hey, let's out. open it. We're uh, already here. Because <laughs> it, it's like the, the Conjuring says, like, you can leave, but, but it'll follow you. they're going to follow you. I mean, that's so. true. For Amityville, there's no money for Ed and Lorraine Warren if you leave the house. You know, true, there's no true. money for yeah. this demonologist. If you leave the house, there's, there's no excuse. Uh, you know, there's no book deal. <laughs> Slash future movie universe. Stay. Yeah, there's no yeah. James Wan cinematic universe. <laughs> you do not if you stay in the house. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's okay. No, um, I wanted to go back to the um, the dinner table conversation that's in the film because I think it really spots like exactly the reason why, you know, we when we have things that are eating us up inside, such as problems, like it is very important to have communication. It's very important to have somebody to talk to. Like 
I know for people when they see that blow up that Tony Collette has, like they're kind of like in fear. But me, I was clapping because I was like, yeah, she's finally letting out what she's been holding in the whole time. And I also love that the son, Peter, is also getting a chance to say what he really feels as well. And I, even though it may hurt, it may be brutal and it may not be something you may not like to hear. It's always good to alleviate you of that stress and that hesitation because it doesn't do good just to keep problems just hidden inside you. First off, that Tony Collette scene was like bringing back memories because that was my mom. Just want to throw that out there. My mom was not abusive at all, but if I ever like cursed at her or raised my voice. Yeah. I am your mother. Mm, yes, yeah. I yeah. am oh, your yeah. mother. Mom was like, I was you like, mom, <laughs> <laughs> mom, are you here? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was afraid of my dad. I was afraid of my mom. Mom energy is different. To your point, Coles, the, uh, the that dinner table scene, you know, if you're kind of bottling everything up because you can kind of see there's just shots of, of both Peter and Annie just kind of like struggling just to like in that silence and that uncomfortable moment where they're just kind of like pushing around the veggies, like maybe mm-hmm. playing with the food a little bit, taking it back to, you know, pre-K, you know, <laughs> that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, but then they, of that eventually manifest to the argument that you're talking about. And eventually that is the result. If you keep it in, like if you don't address mm-hmm. your feelings or if you don't have that one person that you can communicate with in a healthy way and you're like, oh, I'll just bottle it up. I'll talk to them you know, next week or whatever. It's eventually going to spill out in that capacity. And then you're going to say things a lot more violently and a lot more hopelessly than you ever in- originally intended to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the whole I definitely really felt for Peter like that whole because it's like poor baby. Like how do you how do you walk into that house knowing that what they think of you, right? And like knowing what they're expecting of you, what they're not saying, but they definitely are feeling and no and and having that his whole life, like the fact that she you know admits that you know she had the paint thinner and all that, like his entire life he has felt unwanted and has to live with that. And so him sitting at that table and seeing her and knowing what she's thinking and she's not saying it because she's not the person to say it because she keeps it all down for him to be like, no, just say it. Just tell me what it is so I can hear it for once. and for So I'm not just stewing in my own head of what you're thinking. Just do it. And now it's all out in the open. We can be honest with each other. And like every minute I felt for, for Peter, like it was just like he just cannot. Like she has a lot of stuff that's going through. But he really is like top victim of this entire thing because he hasn't even gotten to live. And he yeah. never had a chance. Um, and if anything, we're seeing like if he did live on <laughs> spoilers uh probably would have uh, you know uh replicated uh similar actions that his mom did because that was her, probably her like living too was like her brother dying her father dying and her having to look at her mom across the table and being like what are you doing and why you're supposed to be the anchor um and not <laughs> you know so it just like keeps on going because we're no, nobody knows how to talk to each other um yeah and- there's even a point too in the movie where she comes in and tells Peter that she never wanted to be a mother. She tried to take an abortion. The abortion just didn't take. And I mean, that's a really heavy scene to watch and endure. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mean, Arthur has some like really uncomfortable moments in this film. That is one of the most uncomfortable things to just be a fly on the wall for where you're like, wow, like this is a mother disowning her son just because she didn't want to be a mom in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because of those fears. And he's like, so- he's like sobbing because he's just like, yeah. why? And just like, you didn't want what? Like, and, and of course, Thankfully, that is what I believe was a dream. I think that was a sister. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you dream. actually heard that. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, it's bad enough. He already does not want to be here, I promise. Uh, <laughs> trust me, we all we're all feeling the same way. We all wish we were dead. Not by beheading. <laughs> like, I yeah. think we all want to do it a normal way. Uh, but, yeah, I think he, that, that – and even just, like, the paint thinner situation, too, because that's, you know, a form of, of, of abortion, too. It's just, like, it was, like, subtle, and then it was not subtle anymore. It was, like, no, just right on – like, Ariaster does that really well where it's just like I'm gonna hard hit and then also do some soft hits and really like you just you can't ever like breathe when it comes to yeah him. and that's like I do appreciate that kind of form of just adrenaline rush horror yeah he does the tension building very well yeah he uses silence ambient noises like there there it's a great score in this film but I admire the scenes where like there are characters walking in the house and there's nothing but silence and you're just hearing the footsteps and you're hearing dogs barking outside or just nature outside. And then you just don't know what's coming around the corner. But like the great thing about this film is that it's not the usual like, oh, a jump scare is about to come. or Oh, yeah, this is going to jump right out of the door. No, it's all very so like it, it took me a rewatch to even notice that Tony Collette was up on the ceiling during the last half of the film. I, like, no, right? I didn't spot her once at all. And then on the rewatch, I was like, oh my gosh, she's been up there the whole time. <laughs> I straight up cackled when I saw her. I was like, no, <laughs> shut, shut up. I was like, they got her. They got- <laughs> and then she like scurries she out and I lost it. I was like, yeah. I was in so much fear that that happened and it was a great like, Oh my God! What like humor yeah. moment? That I think one of one of the 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 scenes that I really really appreciated, and it, it's I'd say my all time favorite scene that like Ariaster could ever do, and it was the decision that after Peter comes home uh, from the incident and he's laying in the bed, and then you hear like the it's the morning and you hear Annie leave. And she goes out to the car, Oof. and we never leave Peter's face, and he is just out of it because he. Uh, what would you Shock. do, right? Yeah. And he's out, and you just hear her, and then it cuts to just like her in that scream. But you hear that scream because it's like that buildup because she's walking and she's like, you know, oh, have a nice day, honey, love you. Like, cause what? Who's gonna imagine this? And, and then we he walks know, out and just we saw. yeah, and that whole time you just hear her, <laughs> and she's outside, and there's just. There is a good amount of time that passes before she realizes what happened, and then you hear it. And it's just like, because the whole time as a viewer, you're just like, what just happened? What did I just experience? Um, and I will say that, like, Ari really does a, a good job of getting that uh, that completely destroyed emotional scream because like Danny has that in Midsommar after her fan, like that, like visceral, just like the world has ended. I just want to die. And I even said to Kat, I was like, I think that Danny even says, I just want to die the same way that Annie had Tony said that. does. Yeah. Um, and so, cause I was like, I, I resonate with that scream. Like I've felt that before. Like when you lose someone, 
like when you shouldn't, right? Like you have that same pain. And I feel like he really, like one of the actors that he, he chooses, Tony Collette, deserved a million awards for this film and, and more for anything she does. Uh, but I, I really feel like that hit me as a, as a viewer and lover of horror was like, he really did grab that um, very unique experience of someone who, who lost someone that they, or a child, um, I would say, yeah, it does grief very well. Yeah, Yeah, the authenticity is strong because I've been in situations in my life where I've been in a room and I've seen somebody get some bad news akin to that. And I've seen those primal screams. So for me, watching Hereditary, even watching the beginning of Midsummer, it was uncomfortable for me because like I could feel the pain. I could feel the trauma. I could feel the sadness and the anger in other films. When you see people have grief, you'll see the music, the piano will start playing Mm -hmm. and then you'll see the one tear start falling down and then people will start crying. And it's like, but it's like a silent, it's like a PG cry. You know, these are like R rated screams right here. This is like, (laughs) yes, yes, unrated screams. Better, better yet, unrated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The authenticity is, it's there. (laughs) And I think the whole thing too, I think it all felt very honest, like as absurd as the premises like right and absurd as the last act is um it felt like all the all building up to that felt really real and even like any like freaking out with the after the seance like that feels so real like she's a phenomenal job again so many awards she was robbed um (laughs) but i did want to uh take a moment for kat to uh share some information about hereditary mental illnesses and then we can kind of close out on our last thoughts Sure. Yes. So uh, as we do on the ghouls in my facts section, we're going to answer, I think, three questions. Uh, So what are hereditary mental illnesses? In a 2018 Bustle article listed 10 mental health issues that are more likely to run in families. It listed schizophrenia, anxiety disorders, depression, bipolar, obsessive compulsive disorder, ADHD, eating disorders, postpartum depression, addictions and phobias as illnesses that could be passed down. Um, what are some things that someone with hereditary mental illnesses encounters? I think a big thing that speaking from my own experience, we consistently encounter as media portraying mental illness poorly and creating fear and stigma towards it within society. I can only speak to my experience on this. Um, but I have a history of mental illness in my family of different varieties, some diagnosed, some only theorized, uh, there's a history of suicide in my family as well. With, which is a result of thought to be, you know, untreated mental illness, as well as just like lots of other trash recessive genes that so happen to be passed down to me. Um, But uncles, I joke a lot that like no one asked to be alive, which because I, you know, I, I feel that a lot of the time. And there's many times throughout my life where I felt really upset that I was born, you know, that I didn't ask to be here and I'm here. So I just got to deal with this. Nobody and, you know, to be born. Yeah, no one has to be alive. No one's like, hey, <laughs> I am in your subconscious. Birth me. Like, that's not <laughs> something that happens. Um, but uh, I feel, you know, like that's for a lot of reasons. And it definitely extends heavily into my feelings of being a burden or wanted when I was a kid, which is stuff that like I've learned to deal with now. And I'd say as I've gotten older, I've learned to like really feel like happy that I do exist sometimes. <laughs> Thanks. I'm happy you exist. Um, and you know, there's other times it's really frustrating, but I think this is something that we see in this film that's kind of 
done well in certain areas, negative in others. Um, and I think, uh, existence is hard and existing with mental health and mental illnesses is hard, but I think some, there's like a power in it that you kind of know what it feels like to feel like a burden or like something is different about you. So I think the way that this film kind of portrays people like kind of suggesting that you should not have kids if you have mental illness because that's something you can pass down. I think it's the opposite because you have the empathy and realization that like you know how to take care of somebody who's dealing with that and can help make, make them feel loved. Um, but obviously others might have a different experience or feel differently. In my research, there was a lot of viewpoints. And honestly, the science for it is always changing and the capacity for to indicate different things. And there are people who feel this inevitability towards having mental illness or other things like, for example, alcoholism and other things like that, that also do run in my family that kind of like there's this personal experience, give power to better support others. In my opinion, um, this film, the second time watching it, it did hit me differently as we were kind of talking about, I felt like off Ari Aster was suggesting that people with mental health issues should not procreate honestly extending further than the reality that folks with mental illnesses may question this already. I know that's something that like I actively questioned in my early twenties. I was like, I do not want to have kids. There's a lot wrong with me. I don't think someone else should have to go through that, but I really changed my mind on this. And I think the way it ends, it seemed like the message of the film for me, which I thought was super rude was that if Tony Collette's character just didn't have kids then this could have all been avoided, uh, which is effed up in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And that's just my interpretation on it. I didn't really appreciate it. I was like, that's really rude. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like having your fears or like negative thoughts about yourself being confirmed by like the genre that I love, which is gross. Um, but I think a big thing that dealing with having hereditary mental illness is being hyper aware of your mind and its health. And that can be good and bad. So as you're kind of talking about before, it's questioning your sanity and your reality and how to exist in the world. And that can be both really positive and really damaging and that it can kind of act as a self-fulfilling prophecy or make you better equipped to deal with these things as they present ourselves themselves. So my final question is how do you manage having hereditary mental illness? In an article called Challenging the Inevitability of Mental Illness, written by Lindsay Phillips on counseling.org, it goes into preventative measures of protective factors in facing this kind of inevitability that is often felt with hereditary mental illness. It kind of described it similarly to how someone who, like, say, has diabetes or high blood pressure in their family, um, how they're typically encouraged by health professionals to just adjust their behavior in response Specifically, they speak on shock a member of the National Society of Genetic Counselors and its psychiatric disorders and special interest group approaches her clients increased risk of mental health problems with a similar fashion by helping them change their behaviors. Um, returning to the mental illness jar analogy, Shuck informs clients that they can increase the size of their jars by adding rings to the top of the contents, essentially having rings that act as protective factors, which is something that I learned a lot about in my trauma trainings and stuff like that. Yeah. Trauma informed practices and stuff, which is hard to do when you've experienced a lot of trauma, but it's not impossible. Um, it just gives you a lot of like protective factors on how to deal with it and all of these things. So sleep 
exercise, social connections, psychotherapy, physical health maintenance, all of those protective factors are things you can control and do something about that can help to lead to more positive health outcomes. Um, I, those honestly apply to like all things in life. It helps with physical health, but also mental health. So that's my advice for y'all. So it's not the end. You can yes. do things. <laughs> you can continue on. You, you, unless it wasn't mental health at all and it was, in fact, a cult. And then you're just screwed. Yes. And then <laughs> it's just, just the there's no dodging if there's, that. <laughs> if there's one of the seven or eight demons of hell, is it eight demons of hell? I mean, what? and why? Why do we want them here? What is he going to do? He gives you riches or whatever? Why? But you have to be naked for him. Like, I don't want to, like, if it's a requirement for me to be naked for a demon, I don't want to do it. Can we address that? Like all of Arster's films thus far Always have naked had people. naked, naked folks in it. Yeah, people. graphic nudity, graphic. <laughs> like, and it's old like white people. It's like elderly graphic too. So it's like kind of like shining, disturbing. Yeah, it's like, why? And like, no, the one, the one messed up is the one cultist, and like when Peter turns around after seeing his dad is just charcoal, and he's like in the cor- in the closet, and it's just like he's naked, and he's just grinning. He's just like, <laughs> and I was like, I'm so thrilled. He's like, sir, do not smile at me. Like, like, how dare? Like, you can have a creepy like glare. You could just look out and do not smile. Like now you have crossed the all limit. The of, like, of all, like yeah. do not. Like, I'm like, no, 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 we are not friends. (laughs) This is not a fun time for me. How dare you? Um, I did catch, like, one of the exciting things was cinematography again, is, like, when at the end, where it's, like, uh, the daytime, you see all the trees, the birch, and then it cuts to darkness, and it's not trees, it's the naked people in the yard in the darkness. I was like, ah! Cat didn't catch it this time either, but I get excited every time I see it. I'm like, People in the yard. I remember I screamed when Little we were signals. watching it that first time. I was like, ah. yeah. I also caught how it lingered like just entirely too long on the pole when he was driving to the party. And I was like, why did it do that? <laughs> and then when it happened, I was like, oh, that's why. That's why. <laughs> okay, also because it. it had this cult symbol on it. It did have the cult symbol. Yeah. I didn't catch that the first time. I um, did. I missed it either. this time, yeah. too. Yeah, I caught it this yeah. time. So it makes me think, was this like all part of a grand scheme for Charlie to end up the way she yeah. did? <laughs> well, yeah, because they had so. to get rid of her body because yeah. she, was, she wasn't a male. And for some reason, they needed Charlie. Which is also rude. Nothing. Yeah, she was a temporary um, vessel for um, King Piman. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Charlie's just like, okay, <laughs> like I'm in my brother's body, my mom and my grandmother, headless, uh, naked people. I don't, why, why am I doing this? And they're like, it's cool. And she's like, all right, <laughs> I guess it is. I guess it is cool. I don't really see how I can say anything about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I do think it's a really fun watch. I think, um, as far as horror goes, um, we'll be in the final video. People are going to watch a, a wonderful little clip we shared on our social media of Kat's partner freaking out about the ending of Hereditary and the Spider-Woman. He's like, I (laughs) will fight all those cultists. She had the audacity. I was like, no, the caucasity (laughs) (laughs) to be on the roof (laughs) the ceiling scurrying around. So we're going to play that. Check out our social media for that clip, too. Fucking A! Did this bitch have the nerve to be a fucking spider woman and just be on the fucking ceiling? This shit made no sense. And these naked 
and it was I was like he's watching it there's no because he's not a horror lover he does not he like horror not, and when she said he was it. watching it and didn't want any spoilers I was like you need to tell me his reactions every second yeah <laughs> if you've never in. seen this film and you don't want spoilers it is a unique time because mm-hmm. it's it's traumatic to watch but it's worth it's worth it it's a fun film it's just like if yeah, you don't like horror it is like whoa that is a whole new element for you yes um any last thoughts josh Cliss? um hereditary is one of the best psychological horror film of the last 25 years and i will welcome anybody you know if you can stomach it and um, even if you're not a big fan of horror, if you are at least a fan of some horror, give it a watch. It's a must watch, in my opinion. And watch it again to catch all the little details. Yeah, definitely. I definitely want to echo Coles. This film does a really good job at not only foreshadowing uh, and leaving enough like clues behind in like the first like two acts to where you were constantly picking stuff out on like rewatches that you missed before, mm-hmm. but also too, it welcomes conversations like this one on mental, mental health, mental illness, uh, you know, the relationship between parent and offspring and just a number of other things that I feel like, you know, we need to normalize, mm-hmm. uh, so you don't have results like the dinner scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about it in little pieces now so you don't have a big burst later. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's a unique horror film. Um, and I did appreciate like it popping up. Like I was like, yay. And it's very A24. Yeah, we haven't talked about artistic. it yet, which is wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, for, for people who want to give uh, victims and villains a listener just to where to find you all, where can they? So you guys can, uh, we are everywhere at Victims and Villains, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, sometimes on Twitch, sometimes on YouTube. Uh, but uh, you guys can follow us wherever you guys get your podcast from and or you guys can also go to victimsandvillains.net where you guys can find movie reviews, past episodes, uh, and uh, most importantly, our mental health resource library. Yes, definitely do. And we'll link to to that in our show notes so you can take a look. And where can people find you, Kales? Um, Y'all can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and even letterbox.com under the alias Black Nerd Magic. You can find me on Facebook under my name, Kales Davis, and that's spelled C-A-L-E-S-S, last name Davis. And also, if anybody else wants to check out another great podcast that sometimes we partner with and that I'm another co-host of check out the feeling film podcast from our great friends in Pacific Northwest. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you both so much. This is really great. Uh, I hope we didn't ruin our friendship with our, our tentative love of, no, you're still there, still there. Nah, I'm still here. I'm still right here. But Midsummer, y'all gonna have to change that up. Y'all need to get some love to that. <laughs> we gave a little. We gave a little. We gave a little. I need more. They I did do a redux. We have covered it twice because of that. So <laughs> we understand. Um, well, with that being said, don't get married. Delete your kids. And I was like, what happens in this film that I could like wear earrings for? And I was like, there's a lot of decapitation, so the only thing I was like, 